0: Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on February 14, 2018, addressing the impact of U.S. tax reform on operating models. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, PwC's Tax Services Leader, Alex Velashko, a PwC tax partner focusing on value chain transformation, Christine Saliba, a PwC tax partner focusing on transfer pricing, and Rajiv Jetty, a PwC advisory partner focusing on business transformation, specifically around supply chain changes. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion between all of the panelists focusing on specific aspects of a company's operating model that are impacted by tax reform, including revenue models, IP strategy, and more.
1: All right. Let's move on to get into some details if we can. And, Christine, I'm going to come back to you. Maybe walk us through some aspects of the operating model that people are going to have to be thinking about and maybe some detailed examples of where we're engaging with people around those topics.
2: Definitely. And like we were saying, the interesting piece of this, so I've been doing this almost, almost 15 years transfer pricing, and the one thing that is <coughs> always uh, guiding us is that tax follows the business, right? So we have to understand the business, where the business is going, and structure the tax and transfer pricing structure our models around that business imperative and operating models today tax reform makes it more interesting because tax reform is designed to impact business decisions so we have like Alex said earlier we have these carrots right and sticks so the carrots are obviously to encourage more income in the US more spent investment etc and the sticks are there to limit deductions like interest deductions or intercompany payments, even for legitimate transactions, but limit that seen as a base erosion, as well as limit the amount of profit that the company has an incentive to put in its overseas subsidiaries. So there are these carrots and sticks designed to impact tax behavior. And um, and business operation, not just tax behavior. So the tax executive is really in the spotlight. And Rajiv said that before, um, tax executives are at the table, right? So when a company needs to make a decision about where to deploy capital or where to uh, or their, their operating model generally, before there were a number of things to consider: labor, talent, proximity to headquarter, transportation, etc. Et and that these made the decision, and tax had to. Kind of arrange around that, but today tax is one of these considerations. It has an, a real cash flow impact, and it's not it always did, but today it's in the spotlight. So the tax executive is in the spotlight, and we have here different uh, components of the operating model. I think the operating model is really everything is impacted by that tax reform. Um, and it's not an isolation tax reform, as as, as we uh, we know. It's the whole global tax environment with OECD, the BEPS, the other countries. Every country is looking at maximizing their own tax and avoiding base erosion for for their country. So it's really a comprehensive. Uh, worldwide model that the tax executive has to take into account and to consider when advising or when providing input to these decisions. So we can look around the the wheel there. And if we start for revenue models, for example, and I'll give you, I'll start with that because it's a really interesting um, example. If we take a service company, so how a service company um, recognizes its revenues might have a significant Tax impact. So, if we take a company that is uh, decided, so most service companies, just to set the stage, a lot of service companies, their competitive advantage is to deliver at the lowest cost possible, right? So, a lot of them already establish a number of delivery centers in Asia, Eastern Europe, etc. So, we have delivery centers outside the US, and these delivery centers receive some sort of cost plus from the from the. Um, uh, revenues that are received. So that's so cost, cost plus. So if we take two service companies under that model, they're both competing. They're post, both trying to cut cost, but one, for whatever reason, decided to book in the US all global revenues. So their revenue model is that all revenues are booked in the US. So that company today. Given that they are booking revenues in the US, they need to compensate these service centers, and they make an outbound payment. Guess what? That outbound payment today, even though it was arm's length and everything, might increase their tax liability because of the beat provision. So it's an outbound payment. It's, it, it reduces their taxable income in the US, consider based erosion. Potentially, they, are, they have an additional tax liability. A competitor made a different decision and they decided their their global model is to contract out of the Netherlands, let's say. So that has always been their contracting model. That same company, same business model does not have that beat problem because now they are paying directly their service centers, they are paying the U.S. and, and remitting for whatever services or value created in the U.S. And all the economics is exactly the same. The only difference is how they contract might have a significant impact. So what does that mean? That means that in the future, related to revenue models, a company, in addition to considering legal obligations, regulatory constraints, ERP, simplicity, etc., they also have to invite the business executive, the, the tax executive, to get, give input on wh- what is the tax impact of a certain business decision. So that's just on the revenue model recognition vastly different answer depending on what we
1: choose. And to the point um, that Rajiv made before, this actually puts the tax person in a seat in the table to say, hey, just because we're essentially contracting with our customers in this way, we're generating a tax result that doesn't have to be um, such if, if we're to change the way we contract. The only way that conversation happens is if the tax person gets inserted into discussions around...
2: Absolutely. And the economics around this is exactly the same in both situations. On revenue, there is another interesting point that a lot of companies, and Rajiv mentioned that, for example, a company that was quite mature in the US and started looking for growth outside the US. Uh, So they they planned their operating model to increase um, their foreign supply. But today, with tax reform, this Ratio might change because they might suddenly find themselves in a situation where their U.S. customers are spending more because of the additional cash in the U.S. And then they find that they have to increase their supply in the U.S., change their operating model and their tax. Reaction to that can be interesting because now the growth is coming from the U.S. And Rajiv, you and I were talking earlier about a number of potential industries that might see an increase in their U.S. customer demand.
3: Exactly, yeah. We we talked about uh, a lot of the companies that are more capital intensive where uh, their product is being capitalized and then being used. One obvious example that you're seeing some is in the technology, in the IT side. So a lot of companies have put away their technology in, in, infrastructure spending because of uh, cash needs. Now we have cash, and, and there's also this interest expensing. So the ROI on some of these technology investments become higher. So anything where you've got capital investment required, whether it's IT or, or goods, we will see a little bit of an uptick.
2: Right. So they're interesting between how what's what's the component of your revenues, where you're earning your revenues, how you book your revenues, how you contract with customers, all of that becomes very interesting uh, from a tax perspective and, and a challenge for a tax executive to decide what to do.
4: And the other interesting thing I think you guys both highlighting is that um, some of these changes have not even begun happening yet. You may, you may think about the, the, the trade-offs here in the context of existing operating models, but there's, I think the whole other set of business behaviors and changes in the business strategy that's yet to emerge, because Lejif like said people are still kind of computing and figuring that out. So I think the level of uncertainty and interrelation that these different elements have from tax and business perspective. I think we're still trying to get our heads around and understand, you know, where that's all going.
1: Yeah, we're we're clearly on the front end of this stuff. I mean, pr- prior versions of our, our webcast here, we've asked audience questions around where they're at computing things like BEAT, GUILTY, some of those places, and people are right. just getting their arms around some of that. Um, that That's for right, right rightful reasons. People have been really focused on trying to manage the toll charge, trying to think about um, computing what needed to go in their financial statements, which related to prior year earnings that needed to be taxed, all of those things. Now they've started to move into, okay, well, what's my rate look like for a calendar 2018 year? What is build, uh, guilty? What does beat look like? But naturally that, what that's going to lead to is, ooh, I'm getting some odd results as a result of what's going on from the supply chain or I could optimize better, which is going to trigger all these types of discussions.
2: Right. So it's not only understanding the impact of these provision on your static operating model, yeah. but it's also taking that operating model the provisions and working backward, making recommendations and input to business decisions
1: all right should we jump into ip strategy here
2: right so that's we let's go from a simple to simpler one right ip strategy has always been simple for uh tax executives to deal with obviously not right ip is one of the areas that generates the most income and there is a lot of questions about how to structure ip structuring ip um has a lot of implication on on tax results so the tax executive today there are a lot of the, the simplest one is is the onshoring question? Should we bring all the IP back to the US? We have this provision that is uh, FDII that gives certain incentives, some carrots for companies to invest more in IP in the US. I, I want to look at IP a little in, in two buckets, a little bit. So there, is, there is obviously the IP development itself, right? The research, the R&D, etc., and then the IP ownership. And do we align these two? And how do How does the tax um, reform impact both of them? So I think if we talked a little bit about, and we'll talk more when we talk about service models, but where we conduct the research might be a little different than where we capitalize and own the research. And there are incentives, there are questions around some of the incentives. And we shouldn't forget, though, there is a very important thing. We don't operate in a closed world, right? So it's a company when they're deciding do we bring, bring onshore IP here to the US, there is, is diff- the other side of that transaction. Right? So that IP might be in a European country today. How will that European country react? How what is the cost of onshoring that IP? Where is my business? Right? If my business is truly an international global business, does it make sense for me to own the IP here? Does it align with my my so-called DAMPI function, the functions that manage and control the IP? Are these outside the US? Because I was going to deploy my IP outside the US, so I wanted executives and leadership that is outside outside the U.S., how will the U.K., for example, react to my base eroding payment from their perspective back to the U.S.? So it's not a close, it's not a one-sided equation. It's in looking at the IP, um, uh, tax executives need to think about it in a global manner. Um, And I know, Rajiv, that you have some examples Yeah, no,
3: interesting you talk about it, right? So in IP, there's two pieces to it, Where is, like you said, there's where's the footprint and where is it going to be capitalized. So if you if you look at the general one of the trends that we've been seeing is um, people are going a little bit more from hardware centric to hardware and software and solutions and services centric. So a lot of the software development, for example, I look at automotive industry. The automotive industry is transforming from being just you know hardware and, and, and products to you know the knowledge of being used as a computer on wheels. And Tesla, for example, has got all the hardware already in the car, but they also have software updates that they make. And that will allow you to change the, the interface that you have, the driver interface with the car, as well as the ride and handling. Now, that software is a lot of the stuff in, in potentially has been developed overseas. So, where is the right place to put software development? Is it something that you want to keep in, in the US, in another uh, location? And not just where you locate it, but also where you capitalize it. So, certainly, when you look at the overall IP strategy, uh, it does pose certain interesting uh, reshoring, you know, reshoring versus onshoring dilemmas to figure out where should that be how should what's the most efficient way to do it?
2: And it all goes back to the same thing is modeling, right so understanding what's my cost inclusive of business cost, et cetera of one alternative versus the other and and looking at the tax impact as well. So IP remains an interesting area. I think that uh, there is no silver bullet because of the lower rate in the U.S. or because of some provisions. It continues to be a a, a modeling exercise.
4: And and the other thing we're finding um, is that companies are still trying to figure out how to deal with the impact of some of the – just the shifts in the um, economics and the business models and what value drivers that emphasizes or deemphasizes. In other words – You know, in in addition to traditional sources of IP, we're now finding, for example, that things like data, data analytics, algorithms, you know, certain types of services, while not traditionally thought of as IP, but are really emerging as really, really important economic value drivers that need to be thought of in a context of, you know, this complex tax world.
2: And the one, it's it's interesting that you say about the value drivers and uh, the value of these, um traditionally, right, so we will look at the IP and decide where it is and compensate the IP owner and ensure that income is allocated to the right entities for their contributions, function, risks, and assets, right? So the, the key thing from a transfer pricing perspective, at least, was that when we look at the income allocation, it made sense that it's arm's length. Uh, today, it's a little more complex than that because let's suppose that even if we onshore the IP, how do we get the IP owner to be compensated is important right so we have tax impact not just of where the income ends up but where how the income goes there so the transactional flow matters a lot more today in today's world as the the headline rates are going down these other um, taxes become a lot more relevant these other taxes can be withholding tax they can be beat is an example of that a beat is a, a tax. Um, on a specific transactional flow, it can be customs and duties, it can be VAT. So there are a number of other taxes that matter how you transact and not only where you transact. So in thinking about IP in particular, it's important to kind of look at all of that holistically and not just look at where would my income end up. Even state tax, has relevance today. So even uh, if even if I unsure it, where will I uh, where I, will I put that IP today in the US? Because there is state tax becomes a lot more uh, significant relative to your overall tax uh, burden. So
1: as, so as you are all out dialoguing with clients, is the only way to really start to get your arms around it to start modeling out different scenarios. So contemplation of scenarios and modeling okay. to understand what what the implications are. Because I, again, I. I these aren't linear discussions. They're, they're sort of so multifaceted. That's the only thing I can think of. I think, I think the first step is always, even before you model, to understand the business reality. You
4: know, how does the business operate? How does the industry operate? What are the trends? Make some forward-looking assumptions. I think, like to me, that's exactly. always the first step that we sometimes forget to take, you know, and we go straight to the tax analytics or modeling. Because a lot of times, you know, that's where you start gleaning some really interesting insights and then overlaying scenario planning. And on exactly.
3: That. Alex, to your point, a lot of times that the, the way we would be working in teams is they, there's a person, there's somebody who's got a viewpoint around where the industry seg- segment is going, what are the underlying economics, how is this company changing and, take, and setting up to take advantage of it, and then you clearly need to bring in the expertise around the tax side to say, with this business model, what's the best way to optimize the overall uh, tax burden potentially on the company?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that because I think in the last few weeks, I've been having a lot of discussions with different clients about their tax reform and the impact. And the, the common thing across all of them is that there is no commonality. It's really facts driven yes. so if i'm sitting with someone that is an inbound company versus an outbound company conversation can be very different if i'm looking at someone that has widgets they are selling widgets that's a very different conversation than if they're selling services right or if they're selling um digital or if they're selling technology so um and i think we're we're when transfer, where transfer pricing has kind of can help a lot in in this conversation, we know a lot of facts. We spend a lot of time understanding the functional analysis, so we are very uh, prepared in this conversation to list some of the transactions and the impact of the transactions and how. the different pieces will will kind of come together. But but it's really facts and circumstances. There is no different industries are impacted differently. Um, Different profile companies where the profit levels of the companies will matter. Their decisions about contracting, like we started with the revenues, will have a lot of impact. So lots of moving pieces that will lead to different impact of the same provision, same numbers, differently for different companies.
1: All right. Why don't we move on to talking about service models here as we think about some of the different areas of the the operating model to consider?
2: Definitely. So service model, and we touched on that a little bit uh, during the conversation. Same idea, right? So service models, a lot of companies, the trend has been to uh, have service centers outside the U.S. And today with the tax provision, again, same theme is, okay, now if I have that, if I want to and i and i i i, I um, interestingly if you look at the wall street journal every like every week you will have an example of a company that is saying oh we contemplated having a r and d center in ireland but because of tax reform we're rethinking that because now the tax arbitrage is not maybe sufficient for us, right? We have other things that are also it's not it's not no longer a no-brainer not to have it in the U.S., right? So that's where some of the service model. I'll add one more thing for service model that is is also interesting that I've been thinking about. There is a clear disadvantage for multinationals U.S. multinational and foreign multinationals to buy services for their U.S. subsidiary or U.S. company from related companies, right? So they might buy the same service, pay exactly the same amount, but because they're paying that amount to a related party, they might have a penalty in the form of BEAT, whereas when they buy that same service at the same price, usually low-value services, they might be not paying that, incurring that beat cost. So the question is, it's not only onshoring, offshoring, it's insourcing, outsourcing. Should I vertically integrate, or should I use the services of some third party in India, for example, instead of using my own, right? So there are some interesting questions around that and, and seeing the some of these in- industries evolve. But I know that um, Rajiv has been working with some of our um, tax team, Um, on uh, some clients' restructuring, and as tax reform came on, there were some interesting conversations. Yeah, it's
3: interesting. Uh, Christine, the the conversation that we've been working with this client for more than a year now, and it's really been helping them set up the overall, uh, the the go-to-market model, right? How do you, where do you set up your service centers to be able to meet the customer's lead time and inventory and and, uh, requirements, whether they are in the U.S., uh, in, in Asia, specifically in China, as well as in Europe and the Middle East. So all of the work has been going on to sort of say, how do we optimize what products are being made where, what SKUs do you carry at what service levels, so you can optimize the overall flow of goods? And clearly now with tax reform, it's, it's got uh, – and, and the primary uh, uh, executive we've been working with had been the head of materials and logistics as well as sourcing. And now with tax reform coming in, there's suddenly a significant sort of need to have a dialogue which is really much more tax-centric uh, to overlay along with this overall operation strategy. And, and now we're we, we sort of bringing the dialogue together. We're bringing the three different stakeholders together. And a lot of the discussion is, are there certain products that we make which are much more export-centric, where FDII might be actually an advantage for us? So we've just begun that dialogue, and we've just begun some of that uh, analysis around what should that overall operating profile look like and where should certain products be uh, staged to be able to service the customer while taking advantage of some of the tax law provision changes. So it certainly is changing some of the dynamic and thinking around the overall service model for the customers.
2: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, overall, more complexity and more complexity uh, across all aspects of the operating model A complexity that existed before remains understanding the business, working with the business, designing a tax and transfer pricing model that works with the business. And then now the added complexity of providing recommendations to the business, to the CFO, to the CEO, to the COO, to achieve their own objectives and take into account the tax impact of that.
1: That's great. Thanks for pulling that all together.
0: This podcast is part three of a three-part series featuring excerpts from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on February 14, 2018. Please check the other episodes in this series and be sure to stay tuned for future episodes as well. If you would like further information about these topics, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening.